If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can uh, click to or turn to to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to look at seven verses this, this morning uh, out, of, out, of the book of, out of the book of Proverbs. Now, I've entitled this message, uh, the, most in, the Most Important Thing. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of people that want to speak into your life, right? And tell you, this is the most important thing to, for you to do. This is the most important thing for you to do in this situation. This is the most important thing or person for you to listen to. Or this is just the most important thing. And so when you look at this issue, the way that however you evaluate that in life, it determines all of your priorities. And so I want to talk to you this morning, just what, what does the Bible say that is the most important thing uh, for us for us to do. And so we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs was written by a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was said, and, and still is said, to be one of the wisest men to, uh, to have ever lived. That Solomon had a lot of wisdom. And so Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote the book of Proverbs. And both of those books are considered wisdom literature in Scripture. And so it's interesting when you just start looking at the teachings and the, the writings of, of Solomon and some of the words that, 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 that he, he, he would share. And, and so Solomon, Solomon was this guy that said one of the most important things for us to have is godly wisdom. In fact, is Solomon would say that is the most important thing for any of us to have. Uh, you may know the story, but Solomon was, had a dream one time, and God appeared to him in a dream and told him, Solomon, whatever you wish for, whatever you ask, I'll, I'll, grant, you, I'll, I'll grant you one thing. Whatever you tell me you want me to do, I'll, I'll do. Now listen, what a deal, right? Can you imagine if God came to you in a dream and said, you know what, whatever you want me to do, whatever your wish is, I will do it. I'll, I'll answer one, what, whatever that is. I mean, what, what, what would you ask for? I mean, what, what would you ask for? Would you ask for like a new car or, or more money, a bunch of bitcoins or, or uh, a new home, a new job, uh, a new relationship, a new husband, new wife? That's a joke. You guys are wait, like, you guys need to, we're going to have to send you through the coffee line one more time. Say <laughs> so a shot of espresso for everybody. And so what would you ask for? I mean, I'm, honestly, what would you ask for? Uh, I mean, because however you or I answer that question, it gives us some insights into our priorities in life. And so this happened to Solomon. And so God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, I'll, I'll, give you one, I'll grant you one wish, whatever that is. And you know what Solomon asked for? Solomon asked for wisdom. And Solomon said, you know what, I, I want wisdom. Because if I have wisdom, then I know, now I know how to navigate through life. And now I know how to make good decisions and not bad decisions. And so, God, what I want is wisdom but so that I understand the difference between right and wrong and good decisions and bad decisions and some of those other things. And so God answered that request. And Solomon became this guy to be one of the wisest men to have ever lived. And one of the most successful. So when you look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is like his journal. It's like peering over the journal uh, or peering over the shoulder of someone and getting, being able just to read their journal, to read their thoughts. And so Proverbs is his book about how to handle life and how to make decisions. It's how to know the difference between right and wrong and, and make good choices in life or make the best choices in life. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he would simply put it this way, that, that, we, need, uh, that, that we need sometimes not to do what is permissible but what is responsible. It's interesting. Look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, this is what Apostle Paul said. He said, everything, or I'm sorry, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
And not all things build up. And so the Apostle Paul begins talking about this issue. In life, do what is responsible, not what is permissible. Many times, if we're honest, the struggle in the Christian life, when we have a decision to make, isn't really the difference between am I going to sin or am I not going to sin, uh, a good decision versus, versus an evil decision, uh, a good decision versus making a decision that's like going to destroy my life and destroy my family and destroy other people. Really and truly, as Christians, you know what the most difficult decisions that we have to make? When we're trying to decide between a good decision and a best decision. When we have a decision to make, when we're coming to a place in life and, and like we need to make a decision, and honestly, we have two good decisions we can make. None of them, neither one leads us into sin, neither one of them is evil, and neither one's going to destroy my life or somebody else's life. And now we have to discern out what is the best decision. The most difficult decisions that we have to make in life is trying to discern out what is a good decision and what is a best decision. And so what, what Solomon said, it is wisdom that helps us in those moments. It is wisdom to know how to navigate through life when, when life gets turned upside down, when, when there's some difficulties in life, and we have to make that decision. So Solomon would say that wisdom is like supreme, that wisdom is the most important thing that you could have, and wisdom is the most important thing that I could have. And so Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, here's what Solomon says, wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. So now we're getting some clarity on a definition of wisdom. So we'll, we'll get a definition of wisdom in just a second. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. So the purpose of Proverbs is to give us moral skillfulness, but it's also to give us discernment so that we're able to make decisions in life that, that, that are good and not hurtful and not destructive and some of those other things. And so Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, I'm going to read them, and then, then, then we'll walk through it together. So here's what, here's what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, from learning and discipline... For understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instructions in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to the young man, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or parable, the words of, of the wise and their riddles. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So, Paul, so, so Solomon helps us understand. So, so between those, two, those, those verses and the previous verses I read in, in Proverbs chapter 7, a definition of wisdom is just this. It's not only being able to see the problem, but to know how to respond to the problem in a way that God would have you respond. Any of us can see a problem, Right? Any of us can see a problem and know that's a problem and know that's difficulty. But what Solomon said where, where, where real wisdom kicks in, it's not only the ability to see the problem, but it's an understanding of like, this is, how, this is, this is, this is the best decision. This is a decision that God would have us to make. God said this is what is best for us. And what Solomon says is wisdom is a lot like a muscle that is developed as, as, as you use it, as you start getting into his word, and you start making those decisions, and it becomes easier and easier to hear the voice of God in those situations. And so wisdom is this ability for us to learn not only how to handle life, but how to respond to life. Because a, a lot of people, right, a lot of people base their decisions upon either what they think is right, 
or what their spouse thinks is right or their friends. And, and whenever they have a decision to make, they just ask a lot of people. And then they, they make a decision based upon what they think is right. And so Solomon would say that's da- that can be dangerous depending on who's giving you that information. And, and so Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 simply says, There's a way that seems right to every person. But its end is the way to, to death. I mean, to, there, there, there's, a, there, there's a way, is what he's saying, that seems right to every person, but it, it, it turns out, it turns out bad. It turns out difficult. And so what, what Solomon would say is wisdom will keep you from self-inflicting pain on yourself. Last night when I was preaching that, all of a sudden when I said wisdom will keep you from self-inflicting pain on yourself, it was like all of a sudden I had this thought. I know when those thoughts come, I shouldn't always say them out loud, but I did that time. I'm going to do it again. When I, when I read that about wisdom uh, will keep you from self-inflicting pain on yourself, it was like I just had this thought. Now I know what to pray for the cowboys. <laughs> I mean, now I know the issue with the cowboys. I need to pray that God would give Jerry Jones wisdom because they keep, I mean, listen, I'm telling you, I know Sunday night, I was just so proud of you guys during the Cowboys game because I know you're growing in in spiritual maturity. Not one of you sent me a meme, a text, an email making fun of the Cowboys. I was in pain. I mean, I was in pain. And, and so here's a crazy thing. I woke up that morning with like a stiff neck. I don't know what happened. And I just had a stiff neck. I was talking to a guy in the foyer, and, and so he was, he was a little bit older than me. And he goes, you know, Charlie, I'm the same way. He says, I, I go to bed healthy, and I wake up wrecked. <laughs> and I don't even know what I did, you know. And so by the, towards the end of the, of the cowboy game, my neck was literally going into spasms. I guess I was tense. And so uh, I got one of those neck massagers and put it on my neck, and I think I did it wrong. And so it sent my neck into spasms. I know you probably don't care, all that, but I was in pain. <laughs> I mean, I was, I, was in, I was in pain because it was, seems like the Cowboys, I mean, I, uh, before the game, I, I sent my family. The, you know, I'm an office fan, and, uh, you know, don't hate me, but I, I love the office. And <laughs> so I sent them the Michael Scott, you know, meme that, that simply says, I'm prepared uh, to get my heart broken again. And that was a lie. I wasn't prepared. And so uh, I was not prepared. I mean, it was all the penalties and everything. And those are the toughest loss to make. Have you seen a person or have you ever been that person yourself? To where you had all the resources that you needed. You're talented. You had all the resources that you needed. But you were continually making decisions that was self-inflicting pain on yourself. You're continually making decisions. This just seems right to me. It just seems right to me. But in the end, it leads to a playoff loss. In the end, it leads to death. In the end, it leads to broken relationships. In the end, it leads to difficulty. See, this is what Solomon is saying. Solomon is talking about that individual that just has this pattern. Isn't it frustrating? When you have a friend or you're in a relationship with someone and, and you know them, and man, they're talented and they have, they have all the tools and they have all the resources they make, need. And they're continuing, they live in this cycle of just making these decisions and it's just self-inflicted pain. And you're like, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to make those decisions. See, what Solomon says, what Solomon says, godly wisdom keeps you from that cycle. 
So, godly wisdom will break that cycle in your life. How many times have we made decisions and we thought, you know what, I, I, I thought it was the right decision without any thought or consideration of what God would say, what the Scripture says. And so Proverbs, I mean, Proverbs talks about this issue, just the importance of living a holy life, just this importance of living what Jesus said inside the cup out instead of outside the cup in. And Jesus talked to a group of Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 23, 23, and, and here's what he says. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you, you pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. So now he's talking about some people go to church, and, and he said, blind guides, you, you strain out the gnat, but you gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, the interior of your life, are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also become clean. And so what, what Jesus is talking about, whether it's in the culture, what's in the church or whatever, Jesus is talking about a group of people that only really cared about a form of godliness. They only really cared about the appearance, the outside of the cup. They tried to manage the outside of the cup. And so the way that they would do that it, is to where you didn't have to live a godly life. You just had to appear to be godly. You didn't have to live a godly life. You just had to do some religious things. And, and, and Jesus came to the place and says, no, you've got it backwards. It's not trying to live life, the appearance. It's not trying to live life, the outside of the cup in. It's coming to the place that you're inside the cup, people. That you understand that if you live inside the cup and, and you walk with him and you read his word and you apply his word to his life, then all of a sudden it begins to change the outside of the cup. But the outside of the cup never changes the inside of the cup. And so Proverbs would say this. Proverbs would say that godly wisdom is when we focus on the inside of the cup. Because we know we live in a time and we live in a culture. You don't have to live like a Christian. You just have to look like a Christian. You just have to do a few Christian things and say, I believe in God, and, 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 and we look at this. And so, and so Jesus would look into the culture like 2,000 years ago, and he'd just use one word, and he said, whoa. He'd say, whoa, which means great sorrow and great grief or, or great misfortune. Woe to you who live su superficial life. Woe to you who only care about the outside of the cup and not the inside of the cup. Because Jesus would say, that cup will not hold water. And so thought that was funny, but it's not. <laughs> Maybe I should quit with humor for the day. So here's, here's what Paul wrote to Timothy about the last, about the last days. And so Paul writes this, and, and some of it's kind of eerie because we can see some of it in our time and we can see some of it in our culture. He says, but know this, hard times will come in the, in the last days. For people will be what? Will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, dis demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, br brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. So now there's outside the cup people, not inside the cup, holding to a form of godliness but denying denying its power. And then he goes on and says, avoid these people. It, it, it's, it's sad that we kind of live in a culture and we live in a time that is just kind of simply kind of trying to hold on to a for, form of godliness but denying its own power. 
And so there's something powerful what Solomon would say about a group of people that just take scriptures and apply it to their situation, their lead, uh, their life. Because, because, if you, because if you look at this, you realize that, that Jesus talked about this issue, about, about the outside of the cup may offer a form of godliness, but what he said, but there is no power. That's what, that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Timothy, holding on to outside of the cup, I mean, it, it may offer you a form of godliness, but it's denying its power. And so, so later on in the Gospels, like after this conversation in Matthew 23 that Jesus had with the Pharisees, he probably made one of the most chilling statements that, for me, that I think Jesus could have ever made. And he looked at a group of people and he said, he said, you're mistaken. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He said, you, you, you don't understand either one. You don't really know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. In other words, the only way we know the power of God is to know the scriptures. We don't only read the scriptures, but we apply the scriptures. Jesus is the one that said, blessed are those that not only hear the word, but applies the word to their situation. And so the way that we know what Jesus was saying, the way that we know the power of God is by knowing the scriptures. And so Jesus would say that his followers, those who follow him, should be biblically literate. In other words, they, sh they should know Scripture and they should experience the, experience the power of God to where they just apply the Word to, the life, to their life. And we live in a culture and we live in a time that if that is you, you could be considered an extremist, right? I mean, it is a sad day in our culture that when you take, if an individual takes the Scriptures and apply it, apply it to their life, when life begins, the definition of marriage, male and female, biological male and female, and human sexuality, and all of those things, that if you take the scriptures and you let the scriptures speak into that, then there's a group of people that will label you an extremist. And so what the culture says, you know what? All you have to do is like look the part. All you have to do is just have a form of godliness. And so the question is what Solomon says, what happened to a holy life? What happened to a life of just taking the scriptures and applying it to your life and living life from the inside out? Because God has called us to have an impact. And a, and a popular person may make an impression, but a godly person makes an impact. And so, so he's talking about this issue of just living a life a holy life to where you let the scriptures just speak into your life and govern you. That's, that's what happened to Isaiah, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, you can read it for yourself later. But King Uzziah died, and, and, and so, I mean, uh, King Uzziah was like this successful uh, king, and, and he led well, and the, the, the country was doing well. And then King Uzziah dies, and the whole world, the country goes south. I mean, there's a downturn in the economy, and people are worried, and, and all, of the, all of those other things. And so there's a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah one morning spent time with God, and he was really worried about that. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this inside of the cup moment. And Isaiah said, realize, he said, I saw God, what? I saw God high and lifted up, seated on the throne. In other words, in other words the, the, was, Isaiah came to this place and said, you know what? I see God high and lifted up that God is sovereign and God is in control and God is over the world and God is over government and I see him high and lifted up. And then he said, I see him seated on the throne. And that just simply means that God is not up in heaven like pacing back and forth. This is totally shocks me. I don't know what I'm going to do. But he saw him seated on the throne, which is this, this, this picture of control and this picture of, of, of that he's sovereign and he's in control. And then he came to this place and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
And then he came to the place, and all of a sudden he looked at his life inside the cup. And he said, but I am a man of unclean lips. I don't know, I don't know if it was something he said. I don't know if it was an action. We, we, we do not know that in Scripture. We just know it was one of those moments. And, and he goes, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then he said, but as for me, inside the cup, God changed me. You know when you're living inside the cup is when your prayers aren't, God, would you change them? Would you take care of them? God, would you change me? Inside the cup is when you worry about your cup, when you worry about your life and your action. And so when you look at this, you realize that, that Solomon is talking about this issue of just wisdom. So in, in, in the few minutes that we have left, I just want to give you just three things. I want to give you just three things that are just really important to me. And, and, and as I've looked back, all of the sermons that I've preached so far in 2022, it just keeps coming back to this theme. And, and I'm telling you, I just believe in the season that we're, in which we live that it's going to be important for churches, uh, for us, just to get simple. Worship, scripture, prayer, community. Worship, scripture, prayer, community, and taking of communion together, and all of those other things. And so I want to just give you three things uh, that if you want to gain godly wisdom in your life, the first one is this, is that you have to spend time in God's Word. I mean, that's what Jesus was saying. So you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the, the, the power of God. And so the first thing of being a disciple of Christ is coming to that place to where you actually know His Word. The only way that you or I are going to know His Word is by spending time in, in His Word. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, Solomon writes this. He said, let a wise person listen, increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So wisdom will teach you how to, ha how to handle situations. Wisdom will teach you how to make those decisions in life. And so we have a world that's looking for, for, for answers, but, but a lot of times they know more what the world says you should do instead of the, what the Word says. And there's a lot of people out there that, you know what, they know what all the experts tell them that they should do. They know, they know what the world should tell them to do. But when they really struggle is they don't know what God tells them they should do. And so when you look at this, the only way you and I are going to know that is by getting into His Word, by spending time in His Word. Listen, I'm telling you, if, if you see reading the Bible as a burden, you'll never do it. If you see reading the Bible as really no benefit, you'll never do it. The Bible, Bible reading is not a burden. Reading Scripture is not a burden. It's an, it, it's an invitation to be able to hear from God and to know how God would have you respond. It's, it's like intimacy of, of like being able to hear His voice through the Word and then respond to it. And, and so find, find something. Listen, just find something that works for you. Just start somewhere if you're not doing that. Listen, this, this last week, uh, because of my neck problems and other things, I had to go to like a doctor. And, and so the doctor started meddling when, when, uh, when he asked me, was, so how much water are you drinking? I see here you drink 12 cups of coffee a day. So I go, doesn't that count? <laughs> and he goes, No. He said, every cup of coffee you drink, you've got to drink a cup of water just to keep even. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it's like polluted water. And so, and so I'm, you know, he must not be a coffee drinker. And so, uh, and so he told me, he said, you know what? You need to start drinking coffee. I mean, sorry, you need to start drinking water. 
I'm a coffee drinker. You need to start drinking water. So you know what? I'm that guy on the way home from the doctor. I'm stopping by Walmart. I'm buying a water bottle. I got a plan, you know, and I'm excited about that. I got this new water bottle, and I'm going to do it. And I am guzzling water, and I am drinking water left and right. Day three, you know what? I can't even find the water bottle. <laughs> how many of you are like that, right? I mean, how many of you are like that? I, I no longer, you know why? Because I saw drinking water as a burden. I saw drinking water as like no benefit. I couldn't, I, I wanted immediate response and, 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 and I, couldn't, I couldn't see it. There's a lot of people who are that way with reading scripture. To where you can hear a message like that and you can go home and say, I'm going to get a journal, I'm going to get you version, I'm going to get a Bible plan, I'm going to get life journal, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then when God doesn't do something quickly enough, you bail. But what, what, what Solomon said... Solomon said this issue of wisdom is something that is developed over time. Just find something. I mean, we life journal here. That's, that's what I do, and that's what our church does, and it's 20 minutes of reading Old Testament, New Testament, and you find a scripture, and you write that out, and you make an observation, and you apply it to your life and, and craft a prayer out of that. But you know what? If that seems like a burden to you, no worries. Find something that works for you. It may be a, it may be a devotional book. You know how I started out? This is just so easy. The way that I started out reading scripture is whatever the calendar day was, I read that chapter of Proverbs. In Proverbs, you're so easy to understand. So on the 23rd day of the month, I read Proverbs chapter 23. And I read through it. It takes like five minutes. I find that verse that speaks into a situation that I'm going through, and then I would apply it. And you know what happened to me? When all of a sudden I started seeing this isn't a burden. There is a benefit. It's an invitation into a relationship with a holy God so that you know his, his, his word. So just, just find something. Just, just find a method, whatever works. There's this, this famous pastor. Well, he's kind of famous in the south and in, in the town that I was raised in in Houston, Texas. And his name was Pastor Charles Allen. He pastored First Baptist Church. Uh, I'm sorry, First Methodist Church of Houston, Texas. And I mean, it, it was like a mega church. And, and so Charles Allen, I've read a lot of books about him and, and got to hear him preach personally. And, and so Charles Allen, if, if you were in his church and you came to him and like you're, you had a problem, he would, first question he would ask, are you, are you reading scripture? If you said no, he says, well, I can't talk to you. So you need to go home and you need to read uh, the 23rd Psalm six times a day. And you need to do that for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, if God doesn't give you the answer, come back and I'll help you. They interviewed his administrative assistant, his secretary, and she said over 30 years of serving alongside of Pastor Allen, she said it was shocking how many people would call back and say, hey, I'm so thank you, for, thank you for that. I got my answer. I don't need to come back. Charles Allen believed in like just reading Scripture. Here's the second thing. Let, let God's Word, let His Word guide you. Not only spend time in his word, but let his word guide you. Jesus said that blessed is the man that not only hears the word, but applies the word. So the blessing, the blessing of scripture is not in just hearing the word, is not in just knowing the word. See, I, th I think that's one of the things that's happening, like, like the church growth movement, that we focused on discipleship as knowledge. Just discipleship or spiritual maturity is just knowledge, just knowing a bunch of scriptures. No, when you look what Jesus said... It's being able to apply the word. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs 7. Verse 1, he said, my son, obey my word. So now he's talking about this issue, not only hearing it, but applying it. Treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live. Guard my instructions as, as you would the pupil of your eye. 
I don't know if you're like me, but I'm pretty protective of my eyes, right? I mean, because they're important. Because if, if something happens to your eyes, you, you can't see the future. You, you, it's hard to function, right? I mean, there was a time that I had an eye injury, and I had to wear a patch. And, and so on one eye, and I couldn't do depth, per, depth perception and some other things, that it was hard. Uh, it was painful, all those other things. It seems like when you have an eye injury, it affects the whole body. And so what he's saying is, you know what? When you're not taking God's word and applying it to your life, it affects everything. It just affects everything about you. Listen, this is, this, I'm telling you, this is just personal to me. Man, I, I read Scripture not just to preach a sermon. That's the danger of being a pastor. The danger of being a pastor, you just take Scripture and you read it for how it applies to everybody else's life. And so I didn't want to be that kind of preacher. And so, um, so on January the 10th, I am working through life journaling. And we're, we were journaling through uh, Genesis. It's just a personal story, and then we'll move on. But, um, and I'm working through Genesis, and, and uh, there's, a, there's two people, um, Isaac and Re- Rebecca, and they're married. And, and Rebecca wanted, wanted to have kids, and she couldn't. She couldn't get pregnant. And so her and Isaac tried all different means that seemed right to them that ended up in a bad place. And then she was, she was really struggling, so her deepest need was to, to, to have a child. And then I came to Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, and it said, Isaac prayed to the Lord. It's not going to come up on the screens, but it said, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife conceived. Now listen, I've, I've prayed for my wife, but I was really convicted by that word. I don't know that I've ever prayed for my wife's deepest need. And I know it. I know her deepest need. And I'd pray some superficial things for, uh, for her and some other things. But it was like the Lord whispered to me, Charlie, have you ever thought that your wife's deepest need being met hinges on her husband being willing to pray for her? It was convicting to me. Just like with, with Isaac. Isaac prayed on the behalf of his wife because if we're honest sometimes, your deepest need can be so painful. You, you can come to the place you don't know if God's going to answer it or even would answer it. And so someone needs to add their faith to your faith or someone needs to intercede for you. I'm telling you, this is the power of reading Scripture. Whether you're a pastor, whether you, you attend church or whatever, it's just the power of just reading Scripture. And, and all through Scripture just, just talks about this issue. But the, the danger is, is that we can just become, we can become indifferent to the things of Scripture. Or we can be in, become indifferent in difficult times in life. And, and just a group of Scriptures, just real quickly, and then we'll, we'll grab the last principle and we'll, we'll close. But something that has been really on my heart, and we, we actually discussed this in the elders meeting for quite some time. I won't take you through all the scriptures about this issue of, of the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is more than just charts and graphs and second comings or you post, mid, you know, you know, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I mean, when you look at the book of Revelation, the Revelation was written to a group of people, to a culture, to say God is worthy to be praised in persecution. God is worthy to be praised in difficulty. 
And it has a lot to say about that. And then the first, the first part of Revelation, Jesus talks about seven churches, the things they're doing right and the things that they're doing, doing wrong. And I, I just want to talk to you just real quickly about the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was, this, it was a really wealthy city. In fact, is it was so wealthy, they had more money than they knew what to do with. Uh, there, was a, there was an earthquake that happened that like, destroyed the whole city. And so the Roman Empire, Laodicea was so important to them, said, we'll rebuild. We'll give you the money. And they, no worries. We got all the money we need. And so Jesus told them some things that they were doing well. Then in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he says, he says, I know your works that are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, listen, a lot of times if you've been around church in any, any length of time, you know churches tell you you need to be on fire for God. I mean, you need to be hot for, for Christ. You need to be white hot. And that if you look at someone and say, hey, you're, you're like cold for him, that we would take that as like a derogatory thing. And that's not what Jesus said. It's kind of interesting. Jesus says, hey, I wish you were cold or hot. There's a reason for that. In Laodicea, there was a, a fresh, a, a, a hot spring that ran through there, and you can actually still see it. And if you go to the to Holy Land now, there's a hot spring that would run through there that was used for bathing and, and, and sterilizing and cleaning of pots and pans. And then there was a cold water natural spring that went there was for refreshing and, and, and drinking. And so now all of a sudden, you know, he's talking about being useful for something. And then verse 16, he goes on, So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit or spit you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, you, you become indifferent. I mean, you just become indifferent. You're no longer hot or cold. And the, the best way I can explain this is nobody goes to Starbucks and says, you know what? I need my coffee lukewarm, right? It's either what? It's either hot or ice cold. Nobody, they don't ask you, you know, they don't say, hey, do you want that ice cold or hot? They don't say, hey, do you want your coffee lukewarm? If I pick up my coffee cup and it's lukewarm, I don't know if you're like me, I spit it out. It has no use. It has no use. I put it in the microwave so it once again has use. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you are not careful, you can come to the place to where you just become indifferent to the things of God whether it's hurt or pain or difficulty you've walked through in your life. And so you push the scriptures away and you push God away and you push serving away and you push uh, worship away because you just become just indifferent. That's why verse, verse 20 he says, See, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, to, with, come, come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's talking about communion. The last principle is this. Trust God, not yourself. That's what Solomon is talking about. Just trust God and not yourself. Verses 5 and 6 simply says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. The way you know him is his word and he will make your path straight. And so when you look at this issue, a form of godliness of outside the cup, form of godliness is when you trust yourself and not God. When you trust what you think is right and not what God thinks is right. But wisdom is when you and I come to the place and say, you know what, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust his word. Many years ago, I was at a, at a Chinese restaurant with Pastor Tom, 
who served here. He's now in Chicago at Lakeland Church. And, and so we're like at, a, at a, Mex- a, a, a Chinese restaurant, and we get a fortune cookie. And I never forget, my fortune cookie just simply read, you will inherit an unexpected sum of money within a year. It never happened. And I would be foolish to stake my life or plan my financial future off of a fortune cookie, right? But there's so many of us that plan our future off of a fortune cookie or what somebody else thinks is right. Wisdom is when we trust God and not ourselves. Would you, would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes? and?